0: Everyone and welcome to episode 18 of Spellbound Salem Radio. I am one of your co-hosts, Bridget the Goblin, along with Dr. Mike Vidka of Spellbound Tours in Salem, Massachusetts. How are you, Mike? Good afternoon. Uh, happy Solstice.
1: We're actually recording on the winter solstice today, so maybe yes, that yes. should have some significance.
0: Right, absolutely. And I just uh, had posted today and was looking for like Northern Lights photos and hopefully I got it got it right and picked the best picture I could find. Um, we are recording on that. In 18 episodes deep, we finally decided we think it's time to tell y'all the history of the Salem Witch Trials.
1: Oh boy, so this is going to be
0: like, what, a 30-parter? Oh, yeah. Several parts. But, you know, we'll get into that. How is Salem right now? What's going on out there? Salem is
1: deadly cold. I know uh, last weekend, Michelle and I went to the Freaks and Antiques Market, oh, which yes. was really, really fun. Uh, a lot of good stuff from places like Dark North Craft and Curio. Um, there was... Uh, Evan's oddities. I remember I got Michelle a really cute little uh, stuffed duckling playing with a Ouija Mm -hmm. board and a pufferfish with a googly eye on it from them. I got myself a stuffed cane toad, which I adhered to my hat. A lot of of good stuff there. You know, the usual uh, bones and witchy accoutrements. Uh, Yeah, that that was my only outing in Salem this past week because it has just been so incredibly Mm -hmm. cold.
0: Was there a lot of vendors there this year compared oh, to yeah. the Oh, yeah. The entire town hall was filled. Uh,
1: upstairs, downstairs, outside. There was uh, Krampus taking pictures with people, uh, costume performers. There were some Christmas carolers walking up and down the street. Also, uh, the night before, I believe, was the Krampus night. Uh, Krampus Nacht. And people <laughs> were out having fun. Also, a fun... Uh, and a little shout out to a Salem person who makes great stuff. Uh, Luna Moon Gothic Jewelry. That name is a mouthful. Luna Moon Gothic Jewelry. But I saw them post some stuff on Instagram and I had to order. I got Michelle a replica of Morticia Adams' necklace from the TV show and also a fun enamel pin with uh, Gomez and Morticia. And it says something like, I... Knew you loved me since the day you first carved your initials into my leg. Something like that. A quote from Gomez and Morticia. And they shipped super fast. And they look really, really good. And also there was a fun little Christmas card with pictures of her dogs and stuff on it. So
0: Luna Moon Gothic jewelry. They also make a replica of Jillian's necklace from Practical Magic, too.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, the one that the girl wore in the Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow. They do good stuff. I would, mm-hmm. I would recommend them. Um, very very nice, quality, fun pieces.
0: Definitely. Um, are you guys getting a lot of tourists still? Lingo? Oh
1: yeah, I'm getting calls every day saying, you doing tours right now and I will say, no, our tickets go on sale in January for our starting in April. It's too cold. If you want to do a tour right now, call the Salem Night Tour, or call uh, Sinister Stories in Salem, call, I think, uh, Better Than Fiction is still going, try Bewitched, try, (laughs) why is it escaping me, Haunted Footsteps, there's a lot of options, but I am of the firmly held conviction that when it's like under 40, it is not fun to be out there, so.
0: That's still balmy (laughs) for
1: here. (laughs) I am not doing tours till April. (laughs) But I am excited for the start. We've been doing a lot of research, uh, trying to get some fresh ghost stories scared up, uh, learning some new history. It's going to be a great year. Um, It's actually, officially, our material is going to say the 20th anniversary of Spellbound Tours in Salem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ten with me in charge of the company. turns out it's actually the 22nd anniversary of Spellbound, but 20th sounds better, so that's what we're going with.
0: There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's um, just been a weird year in general. I know we were just uh, taking a walk the other day. If that's our been our only outing that we've gotten uh, since having the plague. And we were just talking about how my hobby has slowed down so much in the last year or so um, with ghost hunting. And it's just, we have to travel now away. There's just so many places locally. Either we've done them so many times or people right. just don't want you in, and uh, so we'd have to travel hours to go investigate, and you know, with everybody working full-time jobs, it's not always feasible, so so it's put a damper on the hobbies for sure here. Well, you, you were down with the sickness, weren't you? Oh, yeah, since uh, the beginning of the month. Well, I was worried when I heard that. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know what, the, the the sickness itself is one thing, and the whole other side of it that people don't always talk about. Is not catching uh, COVID itself, but it's the isolation part. Mm. Almost gets to you just as much as actually being sick. Actually, it got to me more. Is the not being able to go, be around anybody, do anything, having to walk on eggshells and be super careful. And, um, yeah, it's been a lot. See,
1: I like the isolation. I would be happy to just stay here and hang out with Luke and not leave the house. Just me and Luke and the ghosts. Well...
0: um, there Not is leave the
1: house until spring.
0: <laughs> until it's like you have to. Now when you choose to, there's like some sort of self-empowerment there.
1: Mm. But
0: when you have to, and it takes that choice thing away, I think it, it flips the script a little bit.
1: How is your uh, taste going? Are you able to enjoy mm. all the holiday goodies and whatnot? or no?
0: no, and we actually won't be able to go to Christmas this year. So we'll, well be finishing good. up quarantine. to
1: avoid the family.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> it was good but we had to cancel a trip to Florida. Oh, well now that Oh, you're not you're not going to Orlando? No, we can't. We're we'd still be in quarantine through Christmas. Oh boy. Yeah, so plans are off. Christmas is canceled. I'll be having pot pies instead.
1: What kind of pot are we talking about? What's legal in Massachusetts? Or
0: <laughs> no pot pies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marie Calendar, the uh, beast.
1: Orlando. Specific. Something uh, I just noticed on uh, Instagram: a wonderful person who came on the tour uh, over the summer, Lindsay Grace. She just got ex. Uh, officially joined the Scenic Decor Team at Universal Studios. Uh, That's a big deal. So, Lindsay, if you're listening, congratulations on that. Um, She and her friends were some of the coolest people who came on the tour (laughs) over this past season, so I still follow them on Instagram. So, Lindsay, congratulations. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, I've never been down there, so I was really looking forward to it. And uh, my guy's uh, sister works for Disney and so i was really looking forward to kind of the insider visit but you know there'll be more times we'll go back we'll go many times
1: are you gonna like do the thing where you scatter your ashes in the haunted mansion when you finally um, pass on
0: no i i mean i'm sure the haunted mansion is cool i don't want to detract from that but i feel like there are much better places that i could scatter my ashes mm. than something manufactured
1: Not love just it love that, the idea of Disney world
0: you? But, yes, I have some other haunts in (laughs) mind. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of haunts, not really, but witchcraft hysteria. Witchcraft and the Salem witch trials of 16... I'm freezing
1: cold. You're sick. That sounds like it sets the scene for
0: 1692 perfectly. Oh, very much so. (laughs) It was a long winter. That's 1691 to 1692 that year, they say. (laughs) Now, since we are
1: doing the witch trials, I know you've prepared some history about uh, historic witch trials, what the precedent was leading up to Salem. I did Mm -hmm. some diving into possible causes for the witch trials in Salem. Also read up about some of my favorite characters from it. But, if we're doing the Salem Witch Trials, I do want to start with the traditional, in the style of the old Salem Witch Museum. I have to do it if we're just doing a catch-all from the witch trials. In 1692, the devil came to Salem.
0: There, we got our bases covered.
1: Now that that's out of my system, we can really get
0: started. <laughs> So the reason why we wanted to cover it is obviously that's where a lot of the tourism spins from in Salem today. I know there are other reasons to visit Salem, but it contributes to a lot of people's interest in it. And I think some people don't ever do their due diligence of research or just don't have the interest or the time. And there's a lot more to it than you might think. So our first disclaimer of the day or the evening is that we are not really historians. I know Mike is way more rooted in this. I've studied it since the early 90s. Uh, there are reasons why, and we'll get into those, but there are reasons why historical documents don't even align. You could look at three different websites or three different sources and find three different dates. So certain dates are going to get off. We'll go with what you know we think is our the best or whatever guess. But it doesn't detract from the story. We'll try to do things in order that hopefully makes sense to the listeners and provide you a little bit of background on the witch trial. I think I covered the disclaimer, but I it's not being so. historian. I would
1: say that I would consider myself a historian of the witch trials, but I also tend to focus more on the social and cultural history of it and what it means to us today, despite having a lot of background in the skeleton of what happened in 1692. Uh, Just one source that I found really, really useful because it aggregated a lot of documents and a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's called the historyofmassachusetts.org. History of Massachusetts blog, historyofmassachusetts.org. Tons of great information. Also, one of my all-time favorites, the book I mention every week, is Mm -hmm. Tituba, Reluctant Witch of Salem by Elaine Breslau. That was very, very helpful helpful and uh, those are my two favorite sources also uh, Marilyn K. Roach's books really helped out a lot and there was a blog which I liked for some information on good old Abigail Hobbs newenglandfolklore.com
0: oh yeah and you will find Salem web the Salem uh, witch museum has information on there so there are a ton of places that you can get this information and Due to the Salem fire, a lot of people wanted to kind of bury the history of the witch trials. Um, I think that leads to where some of the dates do get off or accounts of events. Uh, Even some stuff was destroyed. And so some of the stuff that's historical record or used for that now is um, like people's personal journals or diaries even.
1: Yeah. There was one uh, merchant from the Boston area who took, very copious notes in his diary and we get a lot of the information from that because after the witch trials the salem parish that reverend paris was in charge of all the church records from the witch trials are gone it's as if they were just ripped right out didn't want to talk about them we've got everything pre-witch trials everything post-witch trials but that horrible winter of 1692 going into the beginning of 1693 all that stuff was excised from the record.
0: hmm Absolutely. Now, witchcraft hysteria was nothing new by the time it got to Salem. I would say, based on what I've ever been able to find, it started back in the 1400s in Europe. And, of course, being a largely religious society, a lot of it came from fear of the unknown with witchcraft. And it also obviously challenges... Religion. There's a lot of different pieces that go into play that create fear when bewitchment or witchcraft um, is talked about. And so there were different ways in Europe that they even, you know, there people were hanged, burned at the stake and other forms of torture. And that really spread. And I believe I saw some accounts that by the 1600s that there was at least 80,000 people who were burned or hanged in Europe during witchcraft hysteria times, So it it did affect a large number of folks before it even hit uh, the Americas. There's also Malleus Maleficarum. That means hammer of witches. And it was uh, a law or a rule that came into effect all the way back in 1486. And they used this in, in Europe. And what it did is it elevates sorcery to the crime of heresy. People who are heretics... Um, were usually burned alive and this um, Malleus Maleficarum encouraged the same treatment of witches because it was sorcery which was elevated to heresy which was a denial or doubt of a religion so that's anything kind of against the church at that time
1: Right, there's a difference between a heretic and a witch uh, I could go out into the town square and renounce Christianity in the Middle Ages, uh, middle ages and that would make me a heretic if I tried mm-hmm. to form a new religious cult or if I were to worship a golden idol that would make me a heretic but I'd have to actually be doing witchcraft to be a witch like you, you there's a big difference between witchcraft and heresy it yeah goes no, that was just hand, but it's
0: different acts yeah their law that they that they put into place back in the 14 and the late 1400s it elevated that so that sorcery was seen as heresy. Now, and so that's England, what they used England against. are specifically? Because I know the
1: Malus Maleficarum was a German text.
0: Yeah, well, they have the Hammer of Witches, is what um, I was reading, that uh, alluded to this. And it was just talking about the core doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. And heretics. And we can put that later on our page on Facebook. I can pull up the sources.
1: Yeah, please do. Yep, because the, Malus, the Malus Maleficarum is such an interesting text and Mm -hmm. people like Cotton Mather would have been familiar with it uh, by the time of the witch trials. And we get the witch trials in Salem in 1692, the witch frenzies in Europe were starting to wind down. Um, It was as if England and Germany had kind of gotten it out of their system. Society was progressing, but here on the other side of the world, we were a little backwards. So we were still, uh, we were still afraid. We were still going into the superstitions and we still thought there were witches lurking around every corner.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there's people who have dedicated a lot more in-depth studies than I have to this, but I know there's origins of witches even in the Bible. So as early as before, you know, B.C. I know it was a first book of Samuel. It's in there. Um, also in Exodus, uh, there are different references to witches and witchcraft and sorcery. Um, and so... It's interesting kind of that there's just these blurbs in time where the hysteria is created. But back in the, you know, 1500s, you're talking about times of the Puritans, too, and the Roman Catholic Church and the Church of England, and then the Puritans coming here to settle into the Americans and kind of bring in part of their beliefs with them, really, right? Well,
1: yeah, the Puritans came here specifically because they wanted to get away from the Church of England. They wanted to get Mm -hmm. rid, uh, they wanted to separate themselves from that. They wanted to come somewhere where they could be the dominant society. They wanted to be as strict and miserable as possible. And to circle back a little to what you mentioned about the Bible, one thing which I think is really interesting about that is both the Puritans and the Church of England and the Catholics, they were all basing everything on the christian bible and nowhere in the bible does it say witchcraft doesn't exist um Mm. people in the bible get admonished for going to witches uh but witchcraft is seen as a real thing that actually works um it's not like if you really break it down it's like witchcraft is definitely considered evil but it's also a just a different path it's not like a thing that we should shun because it doesn't exist it's seen as a very dangerous thing because it is real. And because the Puritans so literally interpreted their Bible, uh, to them, witchcraft was just as real as what they could see and observe.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the, the uh, Puritans were English Protestants. So they did, they wanted to break off the Church of England. They wanted to, you know, break off from the Roman Catholic Church. And I think. Part of that was just because they saw, Protestants saw the Catholics in a different light. And so they came here to have that religious freedom. But then in a turnabout, they kind of strictly enforced their religion upon other people, which leads to some of the events that happened in Salem.
1: Yeah, they hated everybody. The Quakers were a major target. Um, Hmm. They thought the indigenous people, I'll call them Indians because that was the terminology at the time that we see in the texts, but they thought the Indians were basically in league with the devil. Uh, They thought the French settlers who were here contemporary with them were basically agents of the devil because they were Catholic. Hmm. So here we've got the Puritans settled in Salem, superstitious, very much uh, enthralled to their own religion, and up to the north, are the French devils, mm-hmm. and all around them are the Indian devils. So they're living in a physical landscape that's very harsh and unwelcoming, but they're also living in a theological and mental landscape that's extremely unwelcoming to them. Um, to them, the French and the Indians are as bad, if not worse, than witches. So they have chosen mm-hmm. to go across the sea to be far removed from everything they've ever known, and... They want to build this holy city, but the holy city they're building is surrounded by evil.
0: And yeah, and they came impossible. here to escape religious persecution, right? So that they could be Puritans in their own right. But then, and, and and literally, like, it was under the reign of King James when they when the Puritans first started coming here to America. But then they thought that the civil authorities here, so the people that the powers that be in the Americas, should be enforcing like religious things. So they came here to escape persecution, but at the same time, they wanted their authorities to enforce their beliefs.
1: Right. There, there was no separation of church and state in the Puritan mind.
0: Not at all. <laughs> um, and then if you fast forward just a little bit before anything even hit Salem, the, there were a lot of witchcraft trials kind of spreading a little bit. And Connecticut was one of, I think, the bigger ones besides Salem.
1: Yeah. What, what started in Connecticut? What was that one all about?
0: So uh, in Connecticut, what happened is they started to accuse people there, Witch trials ran about 1647 to 1663. So they had uh, 37 cases of which 11 people got executed there was a woman, uh, Catherine Harrison. Uh, she had a trial where she was accused of witchcraft and the jury could not reach a decision. So then there was a second trial for the same lady and the jury found her guilty. But then the magistrates, uh, they stepped in and they disagreed because the evidence against her uh, was spectral. So I think some of it was just yeah. kind of that hysteria and lore that had spread They started accusing people, um, but really they only had solid evidence for 11. And in Connecticut, they did not allow spectral evidence, which is one of the big differences we'll talk about today. Yes. Spectral
1: evidence killed so many innocent people in Salem.
0: Almost everybody.
1: Let's get into it here in Salem. A lot Uh, of different ideas as to what might have caused the witch trials. Mm -hmm. Uh, One which I hear a lot is the idea of ergot poisoning and the quick version of this is ergot is a fungus it grows on old moldy rye bread and wheat it can make you sick it can make you hallucinate Um, it's supposed to have the same kind of psychedelic properties as hallucinogenic mushrooms or lsd and the idea is that some of the people who were acting wild during the witch trials might have been accidentally ingesting ergot now Seems like a good theory, right? But, as I tell people on the tour, every single day, it could not have happened. If you were eating enough ergot intentionally or unintentionally to get high, you suffer physical symptoms too. Your body actually starts to rot and decay, similar to leprosy. You Mm -hmm. get something called necrosis. Also, you vomit and have diarrhea and nobody mentioned that stuff during the witch trials here in Salem. So, let's Cross ergot poisoning off the list right away. Yes. Uh, no ergot.
0: Now, yep. when you think about the area there, we will mention real quick. Now we use the word Salem, right? Salem, Massachusetts. It's, it's one place. It's one city. But back in the times that we're talking about the witch trials, there was Salem Town and Salem Village, and they covered a massive area of land. Um. And people were dense in some areas, but otherwise they're kind of sprinkled throughout the countryside, too. And I think if you just think of the landscape of Salem, it's not as robust um, as it is today. I mean, it was for the time, but it was a much less populated area.
1: When, when people think of Salem today, when visitors come to Salem, they stick to the Essex Street downtown area. They go to where the museums and shops and fun stuff are. Some brave souls make the trek maybe a mile away from downtown to go see where the Gallows Hill hanging site was. And in their mind, that's Salem. But in 1692, there was Salem Town, which is Salem, and there was Salem Village, which eventually became what we call Danvers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people from uh, what is now Danvers got wrapped up into the witch trials. Uh, Rebecca Nurse, one of the most high-profile people from the witch trials, was from Salem Village. You can actually visit Danvers now and see some uh, witch trial sites. I know the Reverend Harris Homestead is available to visit. The Rebecca Nurse Homestead is available to visit. Mm -hmm. And even though it is now Danvers, at the time it was Salem. And one of the main differences between Salem Town and Salem Village is that Salem Town was the more uh, urban, if you will. It's probably the wrong word to use because it wasn't urban by our standards. It was still pretty rural, but Salem Town is where the seat of power was. That's where commerce was happening. That's where you know rich people lived. Salem Village was more of a farming community, and there was a divide because one of them had a variation on the Puritan church. Mm-hmm. Salem had been starting to lose its uh, that the Puritan church had started to lose hold on the population. Because if you wanted to get taken into the Puritan church, if you wanted to become what was called a saint, which was like a full member of the church, you had to go and you had to confess all your sins in front of the entire congregation. You had to say, like, every embarrassing thing you ever did and publicly repent. And then they would bring you into the church and you'd be a saint. Obviously, people wouldn't want to do that. Uh, Think about it. Think about, like, the nastiest thing you've done in your life the thing that you're the most ashamed of that you don't want anybody to know about, then imagine going in front of all your friends and neighbors and contemporaries and admitting you did it, And that was the only way you'd get to be accepted into the church. Now, obviously, you could lie and say, oh, I've just did a few little sins, but then the guilt would be eating you up inside. So people were starting to turn away from Puritanism a little bit because they didn't want to go through that agonizing ordeal of bearing their soul in front of everybody. So there was a brilliant idea called the Halfway Covenant which was basically Puritanism light. You could, instead of confessing in front of the whole congregation you could go and you could talk to the minister and if you confessed stuff to the minister and he thought you were a good person, you could join the congregation. You'd be able to take part in the Lord's Supper and you'd be Uh, able to get all of the benefits of being a full member of the church and there were some hardline Puritans who thought that the halfway covenant was just appalling and it wasn't proper and it wasn't the way to do it and it was like fake so there was that divide Um, the people in Salem town versus Salem village one had the halfway covenant the other didn't and that led to a lot of tension does that make sense
0: Yeah, and church was one of the only outlets for people then, too. So, thinking about all the stuff that kids have to do today to keep themselves entertained, back in the 1600s, church was just about the only place that, and we're going to talk about the young girls, because that's where it all started, that was one of the only things they had to do. It was like their world was based around church.
1: But yeah, would you you rather, would you personally, Mm -hmm. rather go and admit everything to the whole congregation or just talk to the priest privately and yet you'd still get the same benefits. I, I think it sounds more appealing to just go talk privately to the priest and then get right. the benefits. Yeah, and
2: absolutely.
1: a lot of people felt that way. So that was part of the problem. And there was good old Giles Corey who, <sighs> as I'm sure a lot of people listening know, Giles Corey was one of the most prominent cases uh, in the witch trials. He was the guy who got pressed to death because he refused to plead innocent or guilty. Um, he was tortured during the witch trials and leading up to the witch trials, Giles Corey was not the most popular person in Salem. Um, something I learned recently was that he had been charged with arson leading up to the witch trials. Um, as we've discussed before, he beat his servant to death. Um, his first wife died pretty mysteriously. He was a cantankerous old jerk. Then he married a woman about 10 years younger than him, which wasn't that weird, but at the same time, here's crusty old Giles Corey with that hot young wife, by comparison, and she was a social climber. She wanted to get into the church, and she wanted Giles Corey to get in the church, and no way mm-hmm. Giles Corey was going to go and do the full confession. The easiest oh, way to get Giles Corey in was through the halfway covenant. And when you see somebody like nasty old Giles Corey becoming a full member of the church, that's going to get some people kind of rankled, don't you think?
0: Oh, yeah. It definitely makes sense that they would want to keep him, you know, kind of out of there. And it, it didn't take much for people. Like, you could just be considered difficult to deal with, and people didn't want you to be a part of their society or their community
1: but thanks to the halfway covenant giles Corey and the social climbing wife were able to get full rights and privileges
0: Mm.
1: so that's that's part of that that's a good example of why the halfway covenant was upsetting people because it was letting people who i guess were lesser puritans get the full benefits
0: now at the time that the first accusations starting. we're not getting into those just yet, but, um, there was also different stories and different accounts and it's kind of hard to find any concrete information, but that they were kind of down a governor and working on their charter from England at the time that everything kind of kicked off. Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, Reverend Samuel Paris?
1: Reverend Samuel Paris, what a loser that guy is!
0: Big loser, uh,
1: Salem, Salem Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so Salem, Salem, uh, the the city had had a very difficult time retaining ministers in Salem. Um, they were notoriously underpaid. It was a different, con- a difficult congregation to uh, keep in line and minister to. And it was just a cold, unforgiving, miserable place. And there was a lot of uh, controversy with the ministers. Uh, George Burroughs, who later on goes to become a major force in the witch trials, had been a Salem minister, and he actually ended up leaving and had to sue to get his payback. Um, they, weren't, they were paying the ministers notoriously badly. So Salem needed a minister, and they needed one soon. But they didn't really have anybody to turn to. So, they ended up getting in touch with this real jerk, uh, Samuel Paris. Now, Samuel Paris was an all-around loser. He was basically like a trust fund kid who had inherited his family's plantation, screwed that up, didn't make any money. He was making money, but not enough to really keep up the level he was supposed to, and decided, well, maybe if I go into religion, I could make more money, and so he sends back and forth a series of letters to Salem where he's so very picky and so annoying about his salary. And eventually, Salem agrees because they really, really need a minister. And so Reverend Paris packs up his family, he packs up his stuff, including an enslaved woman named Tichuba. And they end up moving to Salem and take over the parish, and he's installed as the minister. And from the very beginning, there are arguments about Paris. Um, He is complaining they're not giving him enough firewood. Um, In fact, there was times when it really was too cold. He'd be trying to write these long complaining letters about, why don't you give me more firewood? And the ink would freeze in his pen. So here he was, a former rich kid with a chip on his shoulder who'd studied religion and was a strict Puritan but I get the feeling that it wasn't really his first choice. I think he was like mm-hmm. a puritan by opportunity rather than by faith. You know how some people go into the ministry because it's like the deep burning conviction for whatever reason they feel oh, they've yeah. got. They feel they've got the calling and they want to do good. Uh, Reverend Paris, to, you know, like like Jim Jones when he first got started. Yeah. Before he turned, let's say. To me, <laughs> Reverend Paris is more like Jim Jones towards the end. Where all he's thinking about is, what can I do for me, Reverend Mm -hmm.
0: Paris? Did they build the house for him, too? Or did that house already exist for the church?
1: Honestly, I don't remember off the top of my head. But you can Um, go
0: there. That's why I bring it up. So it is still a site out in Danvers. And it's very and in, it's interesting to try to find it like you really need to look it up on google maps see what you're looking for and then go because it's like a lane that goes between two houses but it's set up as the the paris archaeological site and so you can the go out house there was specifically built
1: for the minister i don't know if it was specifically built for him mm-hmm. as the minister if that makes sense
0: I wish more of it was still there. You get the idea of where it's at and kind of the setup for maybe what the girls were doing. But, um, yeah, I wish there was just more of it. I don't know. It's just kind of hard to tell and, like, kind of envision it except for the woods around it, where it now are filled with houses, of course.
1: Doesn't even though with the houses there, doesn't it kind of have an important feeling to it? Like, even if you didn't quite know where you were going, you get this ominous feeling.
0: When you walk down the lane and you're approaching the house... It feels like the property has secrets. It feels very much like, yeah, even back then, it would have been surrounded by trees. And I think about churches that I've attended and where our pastors lived or our reverends, you know, depending on the church, and they were never so recluse. They were prominent. They were next to churches. They stood out. They were places where community like members would just go, you know, just to have a chat with maybe the Reverend. And this one is kind of, it it would have sat back off the road. There's houses along the road, but the two closest to the lane wouldn't have existed then. They're much newer architecture. And it's just very hidden. It's just very tucked in there. So it's interesting. Definitely has secrets and I think you can imagine the kids off playing in the backwoods behind the house <laughs> at the time. Like you can just envision it when you're there. It feels like it. And that was the best way. That was the best word that came to me was secretive or secrets. Like it felt like there was secrets there in my app that I use sometimes in ghost hunting, even though I hate using apps, I'll do it on mm-hmm. occasion. Secrets in, um, was one of the words that came up when I was there. <laughs> so there's definitely I secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's definitely an interesting setting. Uh, Reverend Paris was an interesting man. I'm sure there's probably, we could probably do a whole episode on digging up dirt on him. But you I don't. Know, I to. feel
1: like we should. And think about <laughs> this. It was 1689 when Samuel Paris is named the new minister. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he hadn't been there very, very long before the witch trials broke out. And also consider what a new minister he was. This is his first real posting as a minister, mm-hmm. and the witch trials it explodes from his house.
0: Um, oh yeah, literally.
1: Oh yeah, he gets he gets installed in 1689, and by 1691, some people in Salem are already saying, "Let's not pay him." <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, he's not very popular. Um, in sixteen, uh, in October 16th, 1691, again, the new charter is approved, which mm. replaces the Massachusetts Bay Colony charter, and that gets it now Massachusetts Bay. It establishes what's called the province of Massachusetts Bay. Uh, William Phipps is made the new royal governor, and on the surface people are happy because now they have an official charter which means protection from the home government,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there's also a lot of new restrictions. It goes back to...
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW.
2: Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh,
1: a lot of laws that are going to make living here tougher. And so that causes tension. And all the while, while the political wrangling is going on to get the charter put back into place and people are mad about Reverend Paris wanting money, he starts giving these sermons like, Angry sermons about how people of God should be treated well. Mm. And uh, it's very thinly veiled that it, he makes it all about him. Like mm. he's preaching fire and brimstone stuff about how uh, the, they're starting to turn their back on the Lord and reading mm. between the lines, it's like, you need to pay me. Mm. Paris from the pulpit was starting to harangue the congregation. He was, I'm not necessarily getting greedy, but. They were starting to renege on what the deal they made was to pay him. He wanted his money. He didn't like the fact that he wasn't being seen as such a big man in charge. And so he started getting angry about it. And then, and then, Mm -hmm. here it comes, January 1692
0: cold, harsh, long winter. Like one of those winters that seems like it goes on forever. So the people are already losing their figurative minds.
1: His own daughter, Betty Paris, starts freaking out. She starts twitching and shaking and going into fits. Mm -hmm. Abigail Williams, a relative who lived in the house, also starts freaking out like that. And of course, Reverend Paris, being a minister and an opportunistic minister at that, what does he attribute it to? The devil.
0: (laughs) Of course. So they call in the, um, and now mind you also, quick note, this was 330 years ago, almost exactly 330 years ago reverend paris then he calls the village physician uh, griggs i can't remember the rest of the name but griggs uh, to to come and examine the girls and he agrees and he says they are bewitched that's the only thing that could be causing these fits
1: and uh according to some versions of it dr griggs can't even read he's not a very good doctor
0: No, he's not one of those physicians you'd want, like, maybe if you stubbed your toe, you'd want him, let him take a look at it, but anything else... You have too much blood in that toe. Yeah. Anything else that could potentially threaten your life, like Griggs ain't the one, that'd be like going to a TV (laughs) doctor for a diagnosis. Um, It would be a little scary. So then after they decide that these girls, oh my God, they've been bewitched. They're, well, who's doing this? So uh, the neighbor, Mary Sibley, she, I don't even know how she knew, but she instructed John Indian and in Tituba to make a witch cake, a yummy, now, yummy this, witch cake.
1: The uh, Mary Sibley goes over to do the witch cake thing while Reverend Paris is out of town.
0: Mm, um, okay, Reverend so Reverend Carroll's, Paris wasn't involved. Well, in
1: Paris, that. Paris, they go uh, to go to the church, uh, Thursday church service somewhere else. And that's when Mary Sibley steps in. Mm, okay. okay. Um, they're, they're going to the service, hoping to get answers about what's going on with their daughter, Mary Sibley. Um, she gets the witch cake idea from some old English folklore. And that's something I wanna to mention too, mm-hmm. is that witchcraft to these people is something that is very real and very physical. They live with it. They're not, and it's not all bad. There are people who, even in the Puritan world, will go to a folk healer to get herbs there are people who will talk to somebody who does divination to try to figure out if their crops are going to grow or who they're going to marry and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so in mary's mind she wasn't really doing anything bad and then income Tichuba and john indian and a couple of other enslaved people are involved and they make the witch cakes Want to talk about the witch cakes? Oh
0: yeah. So I feel like a we witch. bring the witch
1: cakes up every episode, and one day we'll have to bake a few.
0: Oh yes, we will bake a few. I don't know whose urine we're going to use, but an
1: afflicted girl.
0: They are made out of afflicted girl's urine, so the piss of a little girl. Mixed... Michelle is a witch.
1: Maybe we can get her to well donate.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, can you pee into this canister for me? No, I'm not doing a drug test. It's fine. I just want to make a cake to feed Michelle, to Luke. you
1: are listening. We're going to make a witch cake this weekend,
0: and we're gonna. F- but Luke is the only dog around, so your dog is gonna oh. to have to eat the witch cakes. Oh no, Luke! <laughs> I don't know if he will consent. He may. He may be down. So they would mix. They would take urine and rye, and they'd make it into like this patty, like a cake. And then they would feed it to a dog, and hopefully the dog ingesting that that could cause harm to the witch, who was afflicting the girls. Yeah, the The girl whose urine it was.
1: The dog would lead the. uh, Yeah. Lead the people to the witch who was tormenting these girls.
0: Now, fun fact: I couldn't find any historical records either on whether or not a witch cake ever actually ended up leading a dog to a real witch. Now they would say it would, right? They'd turn the dog loose. The dog would run up to whoever. And you know, they'd kind of direct it in that position. Um, it's kind of like sending a dog on a scent trail and like putting the dog on the trail to get him going. It's like, Oh look, he found the trail. Well, you put him on the trail. So that's kind of what these, the witch cakes, and, and this was some of the stuff that passed for science then too. So on top of a multitude of other things, just going awry, uh, literally a awry, problem. Um, That, you know, a witch cake was science, and you could use those, and and that would lead to an actual, I believe, arrest warrant. I think that that was something that would um, be that tangible or that, like, hardcore evidence in their eyes, uh, that they definitely would use that as proof. And what they were looking for, I mean, witches then, they were looking for the ones that that the little girls were saying afflicted them but witchcraft to them could be anything like some of the things that mike mentioned it's not it's not what you think about now or what's always portrayed in the movies necessarily nor may it even have been what these people were doing um and that's the the gravity of the whole situation in salem is just all the innocent people um whose lives were affected by the the trials for Nothing that they really ever did that, that deserved the uh, outcomes, but uh, so they they made these witch cakes. They ended up um, issuing some arrest warrants shortly after that, and uh, they arrested uh, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba. I believe were now, the before, first arrests.
1: Before we close the door on the witch cakes, oh yeah, um, Mary Sibley actually ends up getting in trouble for making the witch cakes. Mm, I didn't know At, that. Yes, Mary Sibley is uh, severely admonished for trying to use witchcraft to track down a witch. Uh, I don't believe she's ever officially charged with witchcraft herself, mm-hmm. but she is uh, definitely made ashamed for coming up with that idea.
0: What is interesting, though, is because I think she was on the side of them like wanting to help them find yep. out who was a witch, but then she used what would be deemed also witchcraft, which was the witch cake, right? Or like, cause it's some sort of magic. Um, that it's it just all, it, it's like picking and choosing your laws quite literally. And, uh, so that was seen, oh gosh, to be that, but I can't imagine these poor dogs that had to eat this piss cake.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they loved it.
0: Maybe, maybe I have no idea what urine tastes like when it's baked with rye. We'll <laughs> ask Luke one day. It. We're going to experiment. <laughs> but, uh, so with the
1: <laughs> but wh- while we're right at the very beginning of mm-hmm. the witch trials um, why are the girls acting out in the first place? One oh, of the yeah. theories that I thought was really really interesting is that it could be attributed to something similar to post-traumatic stress syndrome mm-hmm. um, because consider what's going on I talked I mentioned briefly, the French and Indian conflicts, and there was King Philip's War, King William's War. A lot of the folks who were residing in Salem had previously been up in the main frontier and then watched their families get butchered by people they thought basically were devils. And think about how people we know who come back from war or even people who've had other stressful uh, situations like somebody comes out of a really abusive uh, relationship
0: Mm -hmm. they can be
1: freaked out forever so a lot of the a lot of these girls may have been reacting to stimulus around them that set off their pstd
0: you know what one of my other favorite um hypotheses for the girls behavior um is that simply they were bored? I mentioned earlier that they oh yes, the church was their only source of entertainment, and so tichuba had had um there's a we've talked about it in our episode that we did on her earlier, and um, she came from the West Indies at, through maybe Barbados. You know, it's it's not certain, but she had traveled. She had been around. her Her world was a lot bigger than these girls, and so she had all these stories to tell. Right, and and who knows? Maybe she was reading their palms, or maybe you know she was telling them stories out in the woods. And these girls, um, it's thought that maybe they also got caught listening to Tichuba's stories or, you know, maybe playing around with herbs with her in the woods there that surrounded the Paris homestead. And so in order to basically not be found, you know, they didn't want to be guilty because they knew they shouldn't have been doing all these things. Cause it was very against the church, against their studies and their religion. Um, they weren't allowed to go to school. They weren't allowed to, they didn't, there was no movie theaters. That wasn't a thing. There was no, they didn't, they weren't allowed to read for the most part. And so there was no other source of entertainment, but then listening to her, it like really would help fill their days. And it was very entertaining to them. And so they didn't want to get in trouble when they were caught. And so it's thought, I don't even know. I think one movie even depicted them like running around a fire, and they may or may not have even had clothes on or something to that nature. Tito was
1: extremely smart and tanny. She was well versed in both uh, the culture she came from, the indigenous South American people. She had picked up a lot of uh, folklore and religion from the enslaved Africans she Mm -hmm. had been with in Barbados on the Paris plantation. And then, of course, as a minister's slave, she was able to absorb all the Christian mythology and theology. Mm-hmm. She could, by all accounts, craft a really, really good story. And when you get down to it, the folklore that Tichuba was telling was a very interesting mix of Christian, African, and indigenous folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, I would like to hear Tichuba tell stories. Uh, oh, yeah. If I could meet two people from the witch trials... The first one would be Tituba, and the second would be Abigail Hobbs, and I'll sure sure we'll talk about her in a little bit.
0: Interesting choices there. I'll I'll have to hold my picks till the end. I I have (laughs) ideas, Um, but yeah. So so she was. uh, They they always list her as like a Caribbean Indian slave, and like I said, some places that she. But she would have had stories. She would have had great stories to tell. Stuff that to these girls would have been like, oh my god, like just out of this world, and. So part of the affliction, I think it could have been just the girls being brats. You know, they were.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: I mean, if you think of Reverend Paris was already like some sassy, prissy, like mama's boy. And I think if you've ever seen Harlots <laughs> on Hulu would remind me of, I can't f- think of the main character. She's the day, the madam that runs one of the houses and she has this pansy ass son that works for her. Basically just. Stays oh, there and yeah. That sort of, guy who falls in love with the prostitute. Yes. Charles, I think it's his I... name. And He's I think Charles is like Reverend Paris
1: <laughs> a lot. I, I it, like, think a quenched... Reverend Paris would be smarter. Yeah. Than Charles, and I think he'd be also less fun to spend time with. Probably, but you know, just <laughs> like
0: just like they they like you, like general generational like poverty is hard to break. So is generational silver spoons. I don't know, but I think that so if you think Reverend Paris is bad, imagine his daughter. And uh, she definitely couldn't have been caught. And I could see her throwing a fit. You you see kids that you never, you don't teach a kid how to throw a temper tantrum. It's like something that the little like ankle biters are born with knowing how to do. And they can just (laughs) throw a tantrum for the tantrum for the first time in their life out of left field. And I don't have kids nor will I ever, but anyone who does, you, you can't say I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And so I think that some of that is also what the girls were doing just to get out of it. And then you get so far in deep with this. You can't say, oh, I'm lying now, especially when people are being jailed and, and later on, you know, executed. The girls can't then back out. You're in so far deep and you can't be seen as a liar because that's also punishable by severe, like severely punishable. So I think that is also a potential that the girls just got in over their heads with this and, and it wasn't supposed to, you know, the executions and kind of, it just, you know, spiraling out of control. Maybe they, it was not their intention, but they were just too far in. That's one of my favorite theories.
1: No way out once they started. And eventually, way later, they did admit to some falsehoods and Mm. kind of got glossed over.
0: Oh, I'm not surprised. That's the most frustrating part of all of it, is because, uh, well, just the courts in general, I guess. So, the um, so then that's the, kind of the theories with the girls, but then hopping into it, then then the arrests start coming and the accusations start coming, right? And they start flying. Um, well, it was also Sarah, you mentioned Sarah Good,
1: yes, um, and when you mentioned when you mentioned the thing about. Uh, how generational poverty is hard mm-hmm. to break and same with the attitudes of generational wealth. Sarah yep. Good was somebody who had come from a prosperous background mm-hmm. who had ended up falling on very hard times.
0: And that was and her. So it, yeah. It I, made
1: sense she would be so cantankerous going from a fancy family to being basically a bum.
0: Yeah, and well, her father's she, estate was held up, right, in litigation yep. when they were living in Salem. And so her having all this money... And then she had nothing like it was just all tied up. She had no money to spend. They were seen as being beggars. She was married and they had two kids and, and um, they kind of, I mean, maybe they got in a little bit of trouble around town, but most of all, they, they weren't liked by the community just because they were beggars.
1: They went door to door begging. Um, Some people speculate that she might have suffered from some kind of mental illness that made Mm her uh, difficult. And unfortunately nowadays with, modern medicine a lot of mental illnesses can be treated if a person is willing to be treated but think about even
0: recognized i feel like that's half the battle back then they didn't even that wasn't a thing you know if if you had something like that going on i think they would go to be you being bewitched before they they didn't i mean mental health was not a thing
1: right and so here we have ashamed possibly mentally ill Cranky Sarah Good. She makes an easy target.
2: Mm-hmm. When the girls
1: are pointing fingers, they're not going to say, Oh, Reverend Paris bewitched me. They're going to say, Ooh, this scary, weird old lady. It's her fault.
2: Mm
0: hmm. Now, Sarah Good was also arrested at the same time as uh, Tichiba and Sarah Osborne. And yes. they we're at the meeting house in Salem village in front of, that's where the magistrates come in. So, uh, uh John uh, Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin were the ones who examined these three.
1: And what was Sarah Osborne's deal?
0: Sarah Osborne, you know, I was trying to, trying to find more information on her. I do know that, um, obviously out of the three, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne and Tituba, Tituba, obviously she confesses. So yes. that's one of the, the biggest things to note too, is that, uh, like Mike said, she was very um, cunning. She had stories, she was very smart, she just she just had her ways about her. And so her I think that she
1: evolved as she was coached to Yes. She said exactly what she needed to to save her life.
0: Because one of the things on your tour you mentioned is that church loves someone who is like they want to be saved, right? So Mm -hmm. she confesses really literally to save herself. But then the church, you know, they love it because they can use her as a witness, which I'm sure she was a witness in a lot of this or at least, you know, whatever she needed to do. And uh, she could save, you know, save her own ass.
1: Well, I I really wonder if Tantuba had wanted to. Would they have let her join the Puritan Church? That's something I'm going to look into.
0: That would be interesting if she would have been allowed. I mean, not that she was ever going to admit to them that she was doing whatever she would have called her, you know, practices of religion. Then, right? Like she could have played the right cards.
1: Yeah, I I wonder if if the uh, that, that's a question for somebody. I might have to I might have to write to one of the bigwigs about this and find out if the Puritans would have let Tituba join their church if she'd uh, said the right stuff.
0: Yeah. So with the, the girls that were, so it was Abigail Williams and Betty Paris were the ones accusing them. So that's how these three were arrested. And um, I think, I think they were just kind of outcast. Obviously Tituba was different just looking from anyone else in the village right um then you have sarah good who is a beggar uh and sarah osborne from what i can find one of the biggest things was her with her is that she just hadn't been to church in a while um i think she was she was somewhat of an outcast but um that's the only thing i could really find is that she hadn't attended church
2: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win
0: But the reason why she really wasn't going to church, from all the records, um, they indicate that maybe she had some kind of longstanding illness. That's um, right. And she had a lot of uh, legal issues with the Putnam family, which comes into play quite a bit with a few different people Oof. in this trial. Because the Putnam family, I think, also come into play uh, with Rebecca Nurse. And I'll, I'll mention that here in a few. But
1: We um, could do an entire... Eight-part series on the Putnam family.
0: Uh, I believe it too. Um, now they're not all bad, but um, I think some of that does come into play. So yeah, that's the biggest thing with Sarah Osborne is just you know. So think about they're targeting people who are different than who what they think people should be at the time. And so um, the three women I know and Sarah Osborne she's she's held in Boston. I don't remember where Sarah Good was held, and and Tichuba of course is kind of remains a little bit of a of a mystery to an extent. Tichuba,
1: then... Tichuba was held at the dungeon in Salem.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Tichuba was held at the site where I show people what's now 10 Federal Street mm-hmm. in Salem.
0: Mm. The next act accused is Martha Corey.
1: Yeah. Martha Corey was kind of a controversial figure in Salem to begin with. Um, she was not somebody that was really favorably looked upon. Mm. Now, According to the book, The Salem Witch Trials of Reference Guide, uh, she gave birth to a mixed-race son named Benjamin or Ben Oney, which was uh, not something the Puritans were too happy about. Uh, The the father wasn't recorded. Martha Corey was living with this young man who didn't have a father and was a different race than her. And then she ended up getting married to somebody, gave birth to a legitimate son. Mm. Now... She was living in a boarding house with the illegitimate son and then eventually she ended up moving in with the guy she married. The guy she married died and then straight away after that she married Giles Corey. Now that's her second husband and uh, already has an illegitimate son and a legitimate son. Giles Corey was wealthy and this was his third wife. So it looked like there were some kind of mysterious deaths in the past.
2: Mm. Um, Giles
1: Corey had murdered one of his farmhands, paid a fine and got away with it. And when the witch trials really exploded in 1692, Giles Corey and Martha Corey were already not popular because they were going in with the halfway covenant instead of doing the full Puritan church membership. And Martha Corey also publicly expressed her opinion that the witch trials was a stupid thing and it was illegitimate and it shouldn't be being proceeded with. So mm-hmm. here was this woman, not liked in the community, married a rich guy, had an illegitimate son, and was publicly saying the witch trials shouldn't be explored.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Seems like a pretty easy target, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Ugh uh the one that gets me even more though than Martha Corey. Well, they all get to me a bit. Um was Rebecca Nurse.
1: Oh, yes.
0: So, Rebecca Nurse um at the time when the witch trials is kicking off, she's a 71-year-old grandmother. And she ended up being accused, and this is why we said the name, keeps coming up by Anne Putnam Jr., which is one of the little girls who would have been friends, if you will, with, uh, you know, or would have been around um, the girl's age, you know, Betty Paris and uh, Abigail Williams. Anyway, they, um, Anne Putnam is the one, Abigail Williams, they accuse Rebecca Nurse of witchcraft, of afflicting them. And... Rebecca Nurse, they she's married to her husband is a local artisan, and they lease farmland there. Now this farmland is often in dispute, um, and I think it's more of the borders of the farm that uh, Rebecca Nurse and her husband uh, live on, and it's um, I want to say that yeah, the, the it flew to a
1: sloppy map map maker. Some of it was in one town, some of it was in another mm-hmm. town.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so the owner was a you know a guy with the last name of Bishop. So he's the one that leased the land to the nurses. and so he would often get into it with the neighbors because of where the borders were. And I believe one of those neighbors also happened to be a Putnam. There was just the Putnams I think they were a very prominent family at the time. Um I haven't done a lot of research into them. I look more in the, like the victims of the witch trials than I do the other asshats that really um were feeding the fire when they came to arrest rebecca nurse you have to picture and you can visit her homestead um that's now in the city of danvers and you can go out there and it's set up they have an incredible gift shop too with a lot of very interesting books there on um, literature um from the history of the time and also witchcraft um the witchcraft trials themselves so they came and they, they basically dragged her off her land and and took her down um to the jail and while they're doing this, she, I just picture this old woman, right that she's just being dragged out of there with uh, no respect and I think she hit her she actually hit the community the hardest because I think she was one of the the first more prominent um like out upstanding citizens in the Salem community at the time uh, that was accused and arrested and later found guilty but she, and she had
1: um, a, a pretty serious accuser too um, yes. in addition to the Putnam girls uh mm-hmm. Reverend Diodat Lawson had, was out for her, too. Uh, he put his name on the complaint.
0: She she fired back, though. So when Rebecca Nurse was accused, she fired back at the girls, and she was telling how they dabble in fortune-telling, and they kind of get into uh, these other things. And so she was kind of speaking out against the girls, stuff that she would have never otherwise said, too. And I think that that added more fuel to the fire, and maybe that's where more people kind of jumped on board with accusing her, is because she knew
1: maybe well definitely um i have something pulled up right here a quote about rebecca nurse criticizing reverend paris um, mm. according to here's from a, a book called an account of the life character etc of reverend samuel paris here's what uh rebecca nurse had to say mm-hmm. it has been said that rebecca nurse was an object of special hatred to paris but this we have failed to discover We cannot imagine the case of alleged complaint of witchcraft. She appears to have been an amiable and exemplary woman and well-educated for the times in which she lived. We suspect, from an examination of the charges brought against her at the court, she had several times severely rebuked the girls for their folly and wickedness when meeting in their circles. In this way, she probably incurred the displeasure of Ann Putnam and her mother, her principal accusers. So yeah, Rebecca Nurse already thought that the girls were up to no good. And that's interesting to note that Rebecca nurse is a pious church woman Mm -hmm. already thought that the girls perhaps were engaged in witchcraft.
0: Right. So when all of this came up, she now then starts speaking the stuff that she knows. Right. And, um, But speaking to who Rebecca Nurse was as a person, uh, 39 people literally put their necks on the line. And they signed a petition in support of Rebecca Nurse that there's no way she's a witch. There's no way she'd be afflicting the children and that she could be guilty. Um, And even today, there's a cemetery in the back of the Rebecca Nurse homestead. And the people who were friends, or considered to be friends of Rebecca Nurse, meaning people from these families that risked their lives signing this petition, are buried in the the nurse homestead, their own cemetery there. So, um, And they, there's a special monument there that lists the names of the people who signed the petition in support of her. Um, and so, you know, they, they spoke out. It, it didn't do any good. But she originally, actually, wasn't she found not guilty? She... she- was definitely
1: found not guilty. Yes. Um, the charges were heard against her. People went out to deliberate and came back with a very strong not guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. People in the courtroom freaked out, and uh, the judges were like, "Well, let's uh, let's go reconsider. Maybe we should really find her guilty. You'd better yeah. find her guilty." And then, begrudgingly, she was found guilty. And then another petition was filed. Uh, attesting to her godliness and goodness and not being a witch um her words say it all rebecca nurse says i can say i can say before my eternal father i am innocent and god will clear my innocency the lord knows i have not hurt them i am an innocent person Mm -hmm. that sounds pretty decisive doesn't it
0: yes and and i and i think that if you're going to get a confession out of someone that's the time right especially even there was no last minute confessions of any of these people right before they were hanged. Right. So if that just goes to show you the innocence of of these people, um, so that was Rebecca nurse. Oh God. It still is like, it just, I don't know. She was just a different one. She was the first one that kind of like really hit hard that they, they did, uh, hang. So she was, um, you know, after they overturned it, uh, they ended up hanging her, um, uh, later on though. But I want to say, I'm only jumping. Huh?
1: July nineteenth is when they hanged you.
0: Yep, July nineteenth. So she was she wasn't the first one hanged, but I, the reason why I mentioned it is because with her, um, there's also a legend that her son and I don't know if it was her, I don't know who else, but her son went um, to actually claim her body at night, and then they secretly bar- gave her a Christian burial at at, her, at home. So that it's said that she is secretly buried, which through some of the type of uh, investigating that I like to do with medium friends, um, we do believe that she is definitely at the homestead.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree to that. I I would say I feel like she's there too, and I do believe the story that her sons spirited her body away and buried her properly. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, her case was one of the main reasons that later spectral evidence was done away with. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of spectral evidence was very controversial in the witch trials. Uh, spectral evidence was the concept that you could accuse and charge and find somebody guilty based on uh on actions that there could be no proof of mm-hmm. the idea that a witch could send their spirit out to harm people that a witch could possess people and could do curses they could say something and make an effect happen there is no way to prove it and even in 1692 people were you know too smart to try to do that in court but during the witch trials the idea of spectral evidence was taken seriously and there was a lot of back and forth between the judges mm-hmm. and the magistrates and the townspeople should we accept spectral evidence should we not in fact cotton mather one of the big villains of the piece who have talked about before mm-hmm. cotton mather at first said that spectral evidence should not be paid attention to and that spectral evidence should not be admitted in court eventually he went back on that and his father the even more respected increase mather went mm-hmm. ahead and spoke out against his son cotton mather and said that spectral evidence was a ridiculous, stupid thing, and that he would rather see a hundred real witches go free than one more innocent person be killed on the completely foolish idea of spectral evidence.
0: And one of the things um, that stuck with me when I early, and I was young and still very much involved in in the church, then like a very active member. Um, and so the what had stuck with me is because I was thinking about like all these like Christian folk being accused of witchcraft and they always use the word that they were examined so you know like in order martha Corey and rebecca nurse they were examined close to each other within just a few days by um hawthorne and corwin um and when they say examination of witch, it's a common word that we use today someone's examined by the court but then sometimes it meant literally to where they were like stripped of their clothes and they were looking for a witch's mark and there's even a famous uh, painting that actually the original is in the Peabody Essex Museum, um, but e- the Examination of a Witch.
1: Oh yeah, I saw that with you when we went to check that exhibit out.
0: Yeah, and that's one of my like I want to I need I want a copy of that. Um, and it's uh, a subject that they were investigating in there is not one of the more prominent um, people of the Salem witch trials, but it's just the idea of of these women and who they really were, and just the way that everything was stripped from them, literally and metaphorically. And and um, so I had always, I just wanted to mention that I always stuck on the word examination or examine. Oh, right. And because one of the they things, literally
1: were. We get a, a lot of people in very interested in the witch trials from the feminist side of thing about how the people in power were all men. And a lot of the women who were being accused were women who weren't necessarily adhering to gender norms of the time. Mm-hmm. They were women who might have had their own money. They were women who might have been Uh, to use our modern terminology fighting the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and then you see these women uh and girls with some agency of their own Mm -hmm. taken before the judges and physically stripped down and that resonates with a lot of uh you know socially conscious women of today like imagine these scared women totally innocent but being forced to be poked around by these creepy horny old judges
0: (sighs) yeah um who was I see after Rebecca Nurse? Elizabeth Proctor. She was next now. Mm-hmm. Um Elizabeth Proctor, uh she was actually the granddaughter of someone who had been tried but acquitted of charges like 30 years before the Salem Witch Trials. So right. her her grandmother, uh, Goody Burt um was uh, yeah, she was accused of that. She was like a healer, like a folk healer. And so Now they, just to
1: interject for a second mm-hmm. here, um Goody well, it was short for "good wife," yes. which is basically a way of saying "missus." So, when when you're reading witch trials stuff, you mm-hmm. see if you see, a chronic, if you see, you see a or good or that just means uh, "missus" mm-hmm. or "mister." Also, when you see people referred to as a saint, that doesn't mean they've been canonized the the way we'd see, say, in the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, like Saint Peter or Padre Pio or any of those people. Um, when you see it referred to as a Puritan saint. That just means somebody who's a full member of the Puritan church.
0: Yeah. And some of the times, some of the accusations, how they would come up is, I just remember this. So when um, I was reading, so if you were, um, like when they took Tituba and Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne to jail or to be, you know, to seen in front of the judges, um, I think it was Sarah Good who they were, like the girls were pretending in that moment to be afflicted. And they were like, someone is bewitching them right now. And she's like, well, I'm not doing it. It can't be me. So it's Sarah Osborne. So it would be something so easy as like they said, oh, well, Sarah Good also accused Sarah Osborne of being a witch. But the only reason why Sarah Good did it is because she knew she was not currently like bewitching these girls in this courtroom. So if anybody's doing it, it'd have to be this other person that you're accusing, not me. And so just some of the things that you read about that were taken for spectral evidence or evidence in the court that ended up leading to the guilt will just blow your mind.
1: Yeah, just the complete lack of any logic or thinking it through.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... When Elizabeth Proctor, she was accused, but her husband, prior to her being accused, she was married to John Proctor. And he actually had spoken out that he thought the afflicted girls were also just pretending. And I think this was before Elizabeth or when Elizabeth was accused. But um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had read that it was even before that, that he had spoken out against that. And so... Yeah,
1: to paraphrase, he said that the witch trials would all go away if the girls could just be given a good spanking
0: yep yep he was the one that said beat their ass and send them on their way well he didn't say and that backfired on him Mm-hmm. it did and his wife was accused of, of of witchcraft and that was really the only thing with elizabeth proctor that's really the only thing i could find was that her husband really spoke out against her and then the dealings with her her grandmother but there was nothing else conclusive so now you're getting into, at first it started off where they have these, like, outcasts of society. And then you kind of get into, you know, a little bit of Martha Corey. Okay, she's kind of, you know, outcast of the community. But then you start getting into Rebecca Nurse and these other more prominent characters. And it either to be one little thing or it would really be nothing. Um, uh, after Elizabeth Proctor was uh, Sarah Cloyce.
1: Uh, a sister of Rebecca Nurse.
0: Yeah, Rebecca Nurse's sister was also accused.
1: Um of witchcraft, now we tend to think of John Proctor as just solely uh, heroic because of his depiction in The Crucible, mm-hmm. but he may not have really been the nicest guy. Um, there's evidence that he did beat his servants and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he also um, was one of the people involved with Giles Corey's problems. Uh, John Proctor testified against Giles Corey in the beating to death case a few years before the witch trials. Yes, so, well, he's somebody with a complicated past,
0: to say the least I mean there's and some of them have stories, and we'll get into it a little bit with Giles also um but um, I'm trying to think of the timing, so Elizabeth Proctor and sarah Cloyce, they were they were um Examined And then Bridget Bishop's arrest warrant came.
1: Your favorite.
0: My favorite. My namesake. Um, and so uh, Abigail Hobbs, Bridget Bishop, Giles Corey, and Mary Warren were all kind of examined around the same time or at the same time. So that would have been April like 19th-ish, 1692. Uh, Abigail Hobbs, no. though, she did confess. Do you want to talk about her?
1: I absolutely love Abigail Hobbs. <laughs> I feel like if I had been a contemporary of Abigail Hobbs, if I had been, like, a young man in Salem Village in 1692, I probably would have had a big crush on Abigail Hobbs. (laughs) Uh, Abigail Hobbs really just seems like uh, she'd fit in with Salem today. She's sort of like the prototypical kind of disturbed goth girl. Like, Abigail Hobbs walked right into that courtroom and... They started interrogating her. Uh, The judge asked uh, when she first encountered the devil. And Abigail Hobbs was just very flippant about it. Mm -hmm. Um, She said, oh, he'd give me fine things if I did what he would have me. And the judge (laughs) says, what would he have you do? And Abigail says, why, he would have me
0: be a witch. And she was like 16, right? She was young. She was 14 at the time. Oh, 14, okay.
1: And uh,
0: yeah, she was just, it sounded like she
1: was having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, she she was one of the girls who had uh, grown up in Maine where as we know there'd been those horrible indian raids a mm-hmm. uh, very very frontier type area and even though it was a very dangerous area abigail hobbs would freely admit that she would spend nights alone in the woods uh, she would just walk around in the woods all by herself except when according to her the devil came to visit
0: And they hadn't started hanging anyone yet, so I don't think the outcome of how this was going to start going south really fast, it was mm -hmm. already bad, but it was about to get worse, but I don't think they saw that yet, and so that might be why she was doing it.
1: She's great, too. Um, She realized that this could get her attention, Mm -hmm. and as a young Puritan woman, she wasn't getting attention. Uh, Nobody was paying attention to her. People were more concerned with things like survival, but she realized she could turn the witch trials into a spotlight for her, Mm -hmm. which probably wasn't the best way to do it, but at least people were giving her the attention she wanted. Um, She ended up actually having a very personal relationship with the devil. Um, She referred to him as the old boy. She said she had, (laughs) quote, sold herself body and soul to the old boy. Mm. Like, I kind of believe if anybody really was doing rituals out in the woods, mm-hmm. it would have been Abigail Hobbs. Uh, there's <laughs> talk about her like running around naked and doing circles in the woods.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, she was, uh, you know, pretended to baptize her own mother in the name of the devil. Um, she was uh, rebellious against her parents. Uh, she was the one who was claiming that uh, she was torturing people with puppets, little voodoo dolls. Um uh, <laughs> And now when she got, when she ended up being jailed, she got smart. And I think she kind of, instead of backtracking like most of them did uh, and saying, oh, no, I was making it up. She doubled down on the witchcraft and kept saying more and more outlandish things because the more crazy stuff she said, the longer they'd keep her alive. So as long as she kept making stuff up, she would escape execution. So she was saying she ate Bread at the witch's Sabbath. She drank blood at the witch's Sabbath. Um, she accused John Proctor. She accused George Burroughs, who was a minister. And I really do think she was having a good time with it. She was supposed to be executed, mm-hmm. but uh, it never happened. She was sentenced for execution. Yeah. But uh, by the time they got around to it, it never happened. Uh,
0: she probably sat she, in there and racked up some debt, though, at this old yeah. Salem jail. <laughs>
1: Well, Governor, Governor Phipps actually signed a reprieve and Abigail was spared.
0: Mm, So, yeah, we'll we'll get to govern the governor. (laughs) I I
1: think think Abigail Hobbs just is really a lot of fun. I think maybe she really was out in the woods talking to the devil.
0: She very well Uh, could have been. (laughs) If Abigail Hobbs, if you're listening now, I'm a fan. (laughs) I think that'll do it for part one of this whole long episode. And come back next time for Spellbound Salem Radio and the Salem Witch Trials. We'll do part two, episode 19 to be continued.